watched that video, <clears throat> I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? Oh, I miss Peru. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I am going to get completely off track here. I'm not even going to talk about missions at all, even though that's what I'm supposed to talk about. So I'm going to try not to look at the organizers and important people here because uh, they're going to be mad at me. Um, I, I just I think that I'm, about, I'm battling between about six different messages to preach right now. I'm, I'm not sure. I just I feel like it's got to be this one. If we're going to fix society, if we're going to fix our churches, our assemblies, if we're going to fix our families, we've got to fix the man. There's like a major problem and lack of biblical manhood in the world, in our churches, in our families. And so I want to go to this passage because I think it's just maybe going back to the root of the problem. Verses 15 to 18. Genesis 2, verses 15 to 18. And just the women can go to sleep. This is just going to be completely for the men. So women can go to sleep now. I might wake the women up at one point in verse 18, but uh, you can just sleep until then. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Let's pray. God, pray for the men. Pray that you would raise up manly men that fulfill their biblical role, roles, as we see right here. Help me, I'm such a hypocrite. I need all of these things that I'm about to say more than anyone else. I just pray that you would help me. Pray that you would restore families. Help the men to be leaders. Help them to love their their wives, their children, their brothers and sisters in, in the churches that they come from. Help us, Lord. Such a great need for men. Help me to say the things that you want me to say. This moment, in Jesus' name, Amen. In in First Samuel chapter seventeen, it's the story, the famous story of David and Goliath. And uh, Goliath, he goes out forty days and forty nights, evening and morning, and he cries out to the ranks of Israel, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers uh, of Israel, and, and Goliath goes out there and he cries out. Give me a man! Give me a man! 
Give me that! Like a giant voice might be. I just imagine how that voice might be. But give me a man! And that's his cry. Forty days and forty nights. And I love those words. It just... Um, there were no men. Forty days and forty nights. There's tens of thousands of male soldiers. But no one came forward to fight in the Lord's battles. And we got the same problem today. Where are the men? Where are the men that are willing to fight in the Lord's battles? There just, there hardly aren't, aren't any. In, in, in David and Goliath, finally David comes forward, a young man. And he's like, you can't defy the armies of the living God. I don't care if you're bigger than me and look scarier than me. I got God on my side. I'm fighting His battles. I'm scared to death, but I know that my God can do great things. If God is for me, who can be against me? So here, backing up to the beginning of the Bible, in these verses, verses 15 to 18 of chapter 2, Genesis, I just read them. You, you see how God originally designed man and his original responsibilities. And I think we just got to go back to the beginning. Look at verse 15 then. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and keep it. What was man's first responsibility? According, well, I don't know if necessarily in this order, but this is the first one in verse 15. What do you think? Work. In Peru they say chamba. Chamba. Work. God made men to work. Now we're a little bit tougher than the women. Uh, now there's some tough women out there, but... Uh, Usually the men are a little bit tougher than the women. God made us to work. He puts Adam into the garden to work it and to till it and to work in it. And this is interesting. It's before the fall. Work is not a result of the fall. God made man to work. I'm amazed at how many we get this opportunity to go and visit in different places and uh, see different families and stay with different families I am surprised at how many places that we've been to where there is a young man who lives with his parents still. He's 35 years old. He lives in the basement. And he spends about eight hours a day playing Xbox. Now, I'm not against video games. Here I'm offending people again. But uh, you got to work. God made you a man. Okay, if you just want to play video games the rest of your life, maybe that's okay, but please don't get married. I've got three daughters, three girls. I've got three boys too, teaching them to work. But I've got three daughters, and, and you know, I'm collecting guns and, and ammunition and things like that because uh, I don't like the idea of some snot-nosed punk coming over and asking if he can you know, take them out on a date or wants to maybe... You know, think about getting married to my daughter. I don't like that idea at all. My daughters, they all know that they're not allowed to talk to boys until they're 40. But, I'm prepared for that, that punk. When he comes, i got some questions I'm going to ask him. We're going to sit down. We're going to, it's going to be hours and hours of discussion. But one of the first questions I'm going to ask him is this. Punk? 
do you know how to work? It's one of the first questions. He's got to know how to work. If he wants to marry my daughter. God made men to be able to work. Now, now okay, that's, that's young people. Work. You've got to work, young people. Now, on the other end, older guys. You're retiring. I touched on it earlier. Hey, you're retiring. You don't see anywhere in the Bible where retirement, as far as playing golf and collecting seashells for the last 25 years of your life, is not biblical. You keep on working. Hey, those are the best years of your life. You've got experience. You've got wisdom. Years in the Scriptures. You retire from being an electrician and now it's time to kick it into high gear. The real work has begun. Like I said, passing the baton, teaching the younger generation. Work. Bert Elliott. He went to Peru when he was about 23 years old. And he just, he worked as a wild man. Preaching preaching and teaching, making disciples, planting assemblies all over the north of Peru. Like 150 assemblies, something like that. He was a wild man up in the mountains, in the jungle. For 40 years, they spent six years in the jungle, or I mean, for 40 years, they spent six months out of the year in the jungle, and then six months out of the year in the mountains. Six months out of the year in the jungle, six months out of the year in the mountains. Just going back and forth like that. And everywhere they went, making Christ's name great. I mean, hardly time to sleep. So much work to do. And they went wild. They get a little bit older, and now they can't, they don't have the energies of youth and able to really handle the rigors of jungle life and mountain life. They settle down on the coast, a little more comfortable. They need it. They deserve it. But now they've got young people, young families, older people also, but just coming to their house, asking for discipleship, asking for prayer. Huge Bible studies in their house. They would have this Bible study in their house. Every Wednesday night, they'd have like 80 people in the living room, just crammed in there, out the doors and everyone just listening. As Bert would teach the scriptures. Incredible. Then he gets a little bit older and now he can't even talk. He's, he's sick. He's dying. He's in his big lazy boy chair and, and it's okay. He's, he's fat. And it's, in Dan, Daniel chapter 1, it talks about they were fatter than everyone else and it was a blessing from God. So getting fat in the Lord is a blessing. But uh, he's sitting there and he can't even talk anymore. But still, streams of people coming. At, at all times of the day, there's at least like 10 people in their house just going to Bert and, and, and just sitting with Bert. And Bert would just kind of grunt. Uh, amen. And eking out an amen. That's all he could do. But it was like so encouraging to everyone. People would pray for him and he would just, amen. Or maybe he'd eke out a few prayers and just say, Lord God. That's all he could say. And people would walk away so encouraged. I mean, if that's what it looks like to get old in the Lord, give it to me. That's what I want. A whole lifetime serving the Lord from a a young kid all the way through middle age, and then you get old and you can't even talk anymore, but you're still encouraging the socks off of people. Oh, give it to me. Getting old in the Lord and passing the baton on, but working and working and working all the way to the end. Man was made to work. Verses 16 and 17. Look at this. Another responsibility. God made man this way. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
What's the emphasis there? What do you think? What's, what's man's responsibility? Obey. You got to obey God. You got a work to do, and you got God to obey. Obey. And I mean, it's really easy here in the Garden of Eden. There's all, I mean, all kinds of trees. There's lots to do here. But uh, just one little rule. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's like a test. You can obey me? And it seems like it's just a few days later. You get into chapter 3. And there Eve, she's having a little conversation with the anaconda. And uh, he convinces her, the mango looks real good. And it, it can make you wise. And you, you'll be like the gods. And she's starting to think, wow, this is, this is a pretty impressive fruit here. And she takes a bite. Where's Adam? If you read the text... It seems like every indication in the scholars in Hebrew say that the Hebrew points seem to, seems to indicate Adam is right next to his wife. He's sitting there. He's kind of sitting back. Oh, how interesting. The Boa is talking to Eve. Oh, look, they're having a good conversation. This is interesting. I'm going to listen. She's going to eat the mongol. God told us not to do that. Looks like she's enjoying it. Give me a bite, too. I mean, he should have said, Eve, Becca, Boa, this conversation is between me and you. Where, where are the men that obey God and lead their families in obedience? Men that defend their wives, defend their children as an example of, an, of obedience. There just there aren't men that obey God. For the world, a manly man, macho, macho, in Peru, is the man that can kind of control everyone else. Maybe he has more women than everybody else, and he can drink more than everybody else, and cuss more than everybody else, but he can, tr- can control everyone else. But for God, biblical manhood isn't a man who can control everyone else. It's a man who can control himself. <laughs> That's hard. Control myself. That's really hard. I might be able to control a lot of other people, but myself, that sin nature that I have, together with my new nature in Christ, that sin nature is still there. He didn't take it away. Can't wait till the day when I receive a glorified body and the sin nature is taken away. Finally. But until then, I've got a sin nature. It's battling with the new nature. And it's hard. But God made me a man. I'm tough. Should be tough. A man to resist temptation. That's a real man. Can turn his back on the boa. Turn his back on that tempting mango. He can lead his wife and his family in obedience. Obey God. We've got this code of conduct, and I, I read it in the book. Uh, I guess Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table had this code of conduct and kind of stole it. And they said this, live pure, speak true, right wrong, follow the king. Those are the four points. Live pure, speak true, right wrong, follow the king. It's not a Bible verse, but it's biblical. Those are biblical concepts. 
I want to teach my kids, my boys, live pure. How many of you want kids, boys, that aren't pure? Addicts to pornography. Nobody wants that for the kids. Live pure. Teach your boys that. Speak true. If we could just tell the truth, Peru could probably be the richest country in the world with all their natural resources. But really, they're just liars from the president right on down to the littlest kid in the village along the Huachaga River. Lying is a major problem. It's a problem everywhere. Speak true. Right wrong. You've done something wrong? Go fix it. Go to your brother and fix the problem. That takes a real man to do that. That's hard. Rather just ignore it. Or cover it up. Or someone else has done something wrong. And you have the power to do something to fix it. Right, wrong. Follow the king. Our king isn't King Arthur. King Jesus. Follow the king. Code of conduct. You know, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow, a, sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It all starts in your mind. Sow, sow a thought. That's where the battlefield is. Sow correct thoughts, good thoughts. You're going to go through the process to a good destiny. You sow wrong thoughts, and you're going to go through the process to a bad destiny. These are biblical ideas, not Bible verses, but this idea of obey God. God made us to obey Him. Men, you're tough. Be a man. Be a man to resist temptation. Be a man to control yourself. Um, an illustration I like to give when I'm doing evangelism, oftentimes open air preaching or something, is, is um, I understand that Eskimos used to hunt wolves by first hunting a deer. Lots of deer up in Eskimo and, uh, I mean, up in Alaska. From what I understand, there's actually deer in Florida. I didn't know that. I was talking to a brother yesterday, and he's, he's a hunter. And I was, oh, I love hunting. I miss it so much. And, uh, oh, we got talking. I was so excited. But uh, So anyway, the Eskimos in Alaska, they'll hunt a deer first. They'll kill a deer, and they'll take the blood of the deer, and they'll begin to uh, put a knife in the blood and then freeze blood all over this double-edged, sharp knife. And it just becomes this big ball of blood over the knife. They leave the ball of blood out in the forest, and wolves, they come running. They can smell the blood. And they love blood. And as they, they begin to lick this ball of blood as if it was uh, ice cream, uh, blood-flavored ice cream. They're licking and they're licking. And they're licking and they're licking. And they finally get to the knife. And you know what happens? They cut themselves. It kind of hurts. But it tastes good. Blood starts to... Spray from their, their tongue. Eh, the more blood, the better. They're, they're licking and they're licking until they kill themselves. For the love of the blood, they kill themselves. What an illustration of sin. You love it. The consequences kind of hurt here. But you love it so much, you keep on doing it. You're destroying yourself. You're killing yourself. Turn from that ball of blood. Run to Christ. He's the only answer. Men that can resist temptation. Men that run from sin. 
Where are the men like that? God made men to work. He made men to obey. Strong to obey. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. What does this imply? Helper. Fit for him. Who's he talking about? Eve. The woman. His wife. God made man with the work to do, God to obey, and a woman to love. Most men need to get married. We need it. I'm sort of a brute. I don't know, boy, where would I be if I had not gotten married to Amy when we were 19 and 20? The Lord really knew what He was doing. We need a woman to help us, most of us men. We need it, big time. It's not good for a man to be alone. It's actually scriptural. It says that. Now, women, they're stronger. A lot of them can just, you can live single your whole life. But men, most men, need to be married. Most. Okay, the women can wake up here. I'm going to say this. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. The women can wake up. A helper fit for him. Man's great mission in this world is to make Christ's name great wherever God has put us. That's your great mission. Now, if God has made you a garbage man, as you're collecting the garbage, you look for ways to make Christ's name great. If God has made you an electrician like I was before we went to Peru, you look for ways to pull that wire to the glory of God. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. He was just a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord said, Go preach. Will you preach my word? Whatever you're doing, Secular work, or if the Lord moves you into full-time Christian work, work hard. Preach the gospel. And then there's a helper that God has given to you. And that helper ought to help her man in his great mission to make Christ's name great. Once we visited this assembly in Dallas, Texas... And uh, it was the first time we'd ever been there. And we went to one of the elders' homes. And we were staying there. And we had two kids at the time. And we went to this home. They had seven kids. And I thought to myself, how irresponsible. Seven kids. But uh, we got there. And we arrived. And it was dad and mom and all the kids. They were all standing there. And all the kids were kind of there sacando pecho. They were sticking their chests out like this. And we went and we arrived and we just went down the row and shook all their hands. And they were there shaking our hands and they were just incredible kids. I couldn't believe it. We go into the house. The house was incredible. Put together and everything. We go in and, and the kids had cooked the meal. And it was good. It was really good. And we go in and we sit down and we're, and we're eating and the kids are really very good at conversation. And they're talking to us and they're very educated. And, uh, and then we get done with the meal and one of the kids says, hey, would you like some more, uh, Mr. Micah? And, oh, yeah, sure. And so, and, uh, but they, and the whole time, the, the dad, the man of the house, was giving his wife massage on the back. 
And then he'd, and then he'd put up, she'd put her feet up on the chair and he'd massage her feet. And the woman, she was incredible. And she had trained all of her kids like this. And, and it was like heaven in the home. And finally, I just said, okay, time out, time out. I got, how did you do this? I said that to the women, because it was obvious, this was the woman's home. And she had done an incredible job with this family. And I asked her, how did you do this? This is incredible. I congratulate you on your home, your children, your family. Unbelievable. And she said, thank you very much. I did it all for my husband. I almost fainted. I almost fell over. It was incredible. I thought she was going to say, I did it all for you, our guests. No, she did it all for her husband. What? No, 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 no. Did I hear you wrong? There just aren't women like that. I couldn't believe it. I gave Amy the short... And I said, did you hear that? And she gave me this elbow back and she said, but look how he treats her. It starts with the man. And Amy is like better than this woman. So, but I don't want to say that Amy's not like that. But she elbowed me and said, look at the man. He loved his wife and that was clear. He really loved her and respected her and honored her. And she respected him and honored him. It was incredible, the marriage relationship, and just spread into the kids. And the whole home was like heaven on earth. It was absolutely incredible. A woman to love. And a lot of you are kind of saying, no, Micah, you don't understand my wife. You just don't understand my wife, no. Or you don't understand my husband. He doesn't, he's never given me a massage. You know, it's almost a blessing that your spouse is difficult. It is. Romans eight twenty eight, And you, you all know it. Romans eight twenty eight and 29. Look at this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Everything that happens in your life, if you're a Christian, if you love God, according to the verse, everything that happens to those that love God is for their good. Sometimes difficult things, but it's for your good. And why? Verse 29, it says, it's to mold you to the image of His Son. That's the whole purpose for everything that happens in your life. The good that God is doing to you, it's to mold you into the image of His Son. So everything that happens in your life is for your good, including your spouse. You think, no, 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 my spouse is not... And I understand, there are some difficult relationships and difficult marriages, maybe in this room. It's almost a blessing that your spouse is so difficult. Because with that difficulty, God is polishing you. He's molding you into the image of His Son. You know, God wants to teach us to love unconditionally. Right? God loves us unconditionally. And He wants to teach us, He wants to teach you and me to love unconditionally. Now, how are you going to learn to love unconditionally if your spouse, spouse meets all your conditions? It's actually a good thing that your spouse doesn't meet all your conditions. It's teaching you to love unconditionally, just like Jesus. God made men with the work to do God to obey and a woman to love. 
Let's keep going. Verses 19 and 20. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock of its bird, of the birds, or to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. Why? And then after this, it goes into the first marriage ceremony. The first wedding. Why is verses 19 and 20 there? He's talking about giving names to all the... It first talks about man's role. We just went through verses 15 and 16. Man's got a work to do, a God, God to obey, a woman to love. And then after that, it goes into the naming the animals, but then into man, man's role once again in the first wedding. Why is it... seems disconnected. Why, do you, why is that there? Naming the animals. I think he, I think Adam, he's naming the animals. He sees an elephant. That's going to be an elephant. And then, an elefanta. You don't really say that's bad Spanish. A female elephant. And then a, a giraffe. And a giraffa. And a, a deer. And a deer. Uh, it doesn't work in English. We don't, we don't have a gender in this language. But, Everyone, a male and a female. A male and a female. And after a while, he kind of goes, well, where's mine? Everybody's got like this partner, but I don't, I don't got anybody. Nobody like me. But God, or but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept... He took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. The woman was fashioned, verse 22, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman. I think it's significant, you've probably all heard this, I'll just say it again. Significant that the woman was fashioned out of the rib. Not out of one of his uh, feet bones or... uh, Probably don't say feet bones, I'm not very eloquent... Uh, Bones in his feet. But uh, not out of one of those uh, bones of his foot uh, so that she could maybe be seen as something uh, lesser to be stomped on. She wasn't taken out of a bone from his skull or, or something, a pyre, to kind of be like lorded over him. She, she was taken out of his rib, close to his heart. Someone to be loved and cared for, nurtured, hugged, close to him. And then it says... And he brought her to the man. The end of 22. Who brought her to the man? God brought her to the man. Who was the first father-in-law in the Bible? God. God was the first father. Can you imagine this? He just forms and fashions the woman. And now we're going to have the first wedding ceremony. The man's up in front, and here comes the woman, and he's being, been, being brought in, or she's being brought in by her father. Adam's father-in-law here in this case, in this event. When I got married, there were 500 people there. There was this upper deck, and then all these people everywhere. And I was up in front, and I was just barely 20, and I was like shaking to death. And then Amy is being led up the aisle there by her dad, and her dad gave her hand into mine, and he whispered to me, 
Nobody else could hear this. And he said, Love her. Avery looked at me real good. Love her. I mean, I was trembling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. I almost fell over again. I had this gift of falling over. Can you imagine Adam at this moment? Here he is entrusted with a daughter of God and the responsibility to love this woman and cherish her, take care of her, defend her, lead her, respect her, honor her. That's a big job. And all of the responsibility and the weight of that coming upon Adam and it's God who gives her to him. And the man said... This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Just one, real quick. He shall leave his father and mother. Young men, if you want to get married, you need to leave your father and mother. It's biblical. You don't live with them in the basement. In Peru, this is a major problem and it causes problems in marriages. They can't break away from their parents. You don't live with your in-laws. I'm sorry if I'm offending you because there's somebody here like that. But that's what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. I didn't make this up. I'm just in charge of delivering the mail. The mail says this. Leave his father and mother. If you can't say amen, you better say ouch. (laughs) And he holds fast to his wife. You know, men that hold fast to their wife, you love your wife. In Peruvian culture, the kids are more important than the wife. Like the family revolves around the kids. Sports, education, everything revolves around the kids. And it's all wrong. Let me give you an illustration. If you come to visit us in Tarapoto, and we do a trip down the river, and let's say we lash together a raft, and, and uh, let's say that you come with your kids, and you've got five kids, your wife and you, and five kids, and you're floating down the Wajaga River, and uh, let's even say you take a cow on the raft, because a lot of times with the villagers, they put a cow on there, the whole family, a pile of oranges, a pile of uh, plantains, and they're going down, down river to the port where they're going to sell all the, the cow and, and, and everything, and, and so you're floating down river, and all of a sudden you go through some rapids, and everything turns upside down, and everyone's drowning. Now, man, we are going to suppose that you know how to swim, but you're the only one in the family. And we're going to suppose that you have to choose just one to save. You have to choose one. You better to just save them all. But let's just suppose in this illustration, you can only save one. Who do you save? Who said the cow? Oh. I've had people tell me, the cow, or other, uh, other people have said, no, 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 the inheritance, my kids, they're the inheritance, let the old lady drown. People say these things. And that's really the mentality, at least in Peru. I don't know how it is here. South Florida is a little different, I don't know. But uh, it talks about in Ephesians 5, Jesus 
gave himself up for her, his bride. And this is an example of how the man is supposed to treat his wife. Hold fast to your wife, and they shall become one flesh. Once I was preaching open air, and his family came up afterwards. And the man said, this is one of my women and three kids that I have with her. This is one of my other women. I have three kids with her. They're biological sisters. They live under the same roof. The women hated each other. The kids hated each other. She said, I love him. And she said, I love him. And he said, I love them both. And then she said, I hate her. She said, I hate her. And all the kids were like getting ready to punch each other. I mean, the things that we do that mess up our families and the consequences of sin. If men would just be faithful to one woman, one flesh, you become one flesh, not two or three or four. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Sex within marriage is good. It's holy. It's blessed. God designed it. Sex outside of marriage? That's cursed. Brings a lot of consequences. It's sinful. You want to ruin your life? Go commit adultery. Or commit fornication. Or get chained to pornography. It'll destroy you. Men, we need to be examples to our kids. They're going to copy you. Sometimes I think of Solomon. He's 13 years old. He's on a walk with his dad. David, King David. Hey, Dad, I've been noticing that girls are pretty cute. Yeah, son, that's, that's natural. It's natural. God made us to recognize that girls get pretty cute, don't they? Yeah, Dad. You know, Dad, how'd you meet Mom? Well, I was up on the palace roof and kind of looked down and she was like bathing. And Oh, but Dad, you looked away, right? Well, I had her come over to the palace and Oh, but Dad, she, she was single, right? And you, you asked her hand in marriage. You guys got married. No, I murdered her husband. And then Solomon, how many women did he have? Her kids will follow our examples. I mean, there's arguments for why he had the thousand. And I, I, don't, I don't really know if that was the right thing, but... Our kids do follow our examples. Where are the men? Like Goliath said, Give me a man! Give me a man! Give me a man! Men that know how to work. Men that know how to obey their God. Men that know how to resist temptation. Men that love their wife. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. 
If we're going to rebuild the broken down walls, if we're going to go about rebuilding what has been burned, the world needs the Lord. Our churches need to be rebuilt. Our families need to be reinforced. It's got to start with the men. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your Word. Now we see man as he was originally created. His responsibilities that he had from the beginning. Lord, pray for the men here. Help us to work all the way to the end. Help us to obey all the way to the end. Help us to love our wife, that daughter of yours that you've given to us to love and to cherish, to honor. Help us to love her all the way to the end. Pray that there would be men who would answer the call. Give me a man. Men willing to fight valiantly in your battles. We pray for revival, Lord. And we pray that it would start with the men. In Jesus' name, Amen.